What if you were going to die tomorrow? Would you have regrets? I know I would. Welcome to the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I'm your host as always, Colton Petrie. My guest today is Jody Wellman. Jody is a speaker, a coach, and an assistant instructor at the University of Pennsylvania for a master's level psychology program. She also owns and operates 4,000 Mondays to help people live a life without regrets whenever they finally reach their deathbed, be it tomorrow or in 60 years. This is one of those lessons that I can't believe we forget. Life is short and no one makes it out alive. So why are we waiting to fulfill our dreams or chase our goals? That's why hopefully this episode gets people thinking and laughing and motivated to do better for their own sake. Jody also might be one of my favorite guests of all time. She is super funny and engaging, all in one package, and not afraid to push me to do things that scare me even while in the middle of an interview. Overall, it was just an awesome time with a fantastic person, and I hope you all enjoy it. Let's make the best use of the Mondays we have left. Welcome to the show, Jody Wellman. Thanks for having me here. Yes. I'm excited. Thank you so much for being on the show. Why don't you introduce yourself for the audience so they know who you are and what you do? Okay, happy to. So I'm Jody Wellman. I work as a speaker and coach and assistant instructor at University of Pennsylvania in the Masters of Applied Positive Psychology program. Only I like to do positive psychology with a twist because the reason that I wake up every day is to help us snap to attention and quite frankly, focus on the fact that we're all going to die. <laughs> and so I named my company 4,000 Mondays because that's roughly all we're going to get. And so we might as well use that as hopefully a motivator. We're going to hopefully make our conversation motivating and not like completely morbid. Um, but yeah, to snap to attention. And so that's the work that I do. I get up and get to do keynotes and workshops for groups and work with leaders and teams and normal people too, to like make the most of our ticking time bomb lives. Yeah. And that is an attention grabber for sure. When you hear like you have 4,000 Mondays to live and you're pretty deep into that already. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. You weren't just born. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. You don't have currently 4,000 Mondays. Yeah. You've burned a stock of those to get here. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it can, it can alarm some people. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Do you generally hear people like, oh, that's a lot of Mondays or that's not enough? Well, if that's such a good question, because I ask people that if I'm in a workshop, say, and I give everybody to calculate it and I want to know, like, is your perception that that, oh, that's forever. I can still like start, I can still delay all the things I want to do, which is where I get so worked up. Cause wait, no, wait, we can't delay. Um, and then some people feel like, Oh my gosh, that is so finite. Like, and they actually, you know, I like the idea that we strike some small little bit of terror into them in order to motivate them, not just to spark a bunch of existential crises left, right, and center. Uh, So I think most people are a little bit grabbed by it in a, oh, I only have, you know, I'm going to take a guess for you. I don't know. We could do the math if you want. We want things to get complicated here. 
Um, but let's just say it's like 2,400 Mondays left. Most people, it does tend to wake them up in a way that they don't think it's an enormous amount. Should we calculate your Mondays? Is that crazy? Like roughly what we could roughly do it? If you want, it's probably pretty easy since I am turning 30 next month. So. Ooh, fantastic. By the way, do you have any feelings about turning 30? Uh, I have a lot of feelings about turning 30, and I don't know if any of them have crystallized in me yet. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, because sometimes birthdays with a zero in the work I do, they can wake people up to living life more fully too, right? Because it's like, it's a significant milestone. And then you think, well, wait, how do I want my 30s to be or my 40s to be or whatnot? Okay. So you have 2,496 Mondays to go. Does that seem like a little or a lot? Seems like very little. I mean, 4,000 seemed like a little to me because I was okay. like 4,000. Oh, are we measuring like from adulthood? And then it's like, <laughs> no, from birth. I'm like, okay, that's not a lot of Mondays because I have had the thought like, uh, Mondays again, um, a yeah. lot. And I'm like, wow, every one of those is burning down the timer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The little hourglass little grains of sand so yeah but 2496 like that you know you're there's still so much time to do cool things i mean yeah i am closing on the halfway point though in that that calculation where it's like you don't have four thousand you have two thousand mondays yeah yeah well it's so average men live till 78 so i think you've still got i mean you're I'm thinking there was a time I threw my husband. He didn't know I was doing this at the time, but I took him out on a special date for his half life birthday. And that was at the time it was um, exactly the math of like men would live until say 78.4 years. And I calculated for him to the day when he was half of his life expectancy. And it it didn't land perfectly well, if I'm being honest. It wasn't the romantic fun night I thought it was going to be, but um, whatever. He knew who, who he knew who he was marrying. So, so he didn't he didn't love the half dead celebration. <laughs> Did you say half dead? Yeah. <laughs> right, right. It didn't seem to be that resonant, but, but that's fine. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's one of those that like turning thirty. It's uh. It's one of those where it's like, man, how much time have I wasted and what am I doing? And that seems to be like a run that we are on in this show where I've had wow. guests who are like, you're wasting so much of your life doing something that you hate. Huh. Huh. That is so big, the feeling of wasting. And I know we can be hard on ourselves and that's probably like a whole different conversation right around our tendencies to be hard on and judge ourselves. But I do think that there is merit in that pausing and reflecting and saying, like, if I did find out, not that you have 2,496 to go, but let's say for some reason you found out you had a year to go. Or actually, let's change the exercise and let's just make it the good old fashioned classic like deathbed regret perception of if you were on your deathbed tonight. Would you feel like, man, I wasted time. I could have, should have done X, Y, Z. You know, those are the things I think that can wake us up to starting to course correct it. Because that's the whole point of this exercise. It's not just to be bummed out that we didn't plan the big trip to Greece or that we didn't, you know, it's that, oh, if, if I would be bummed that I didn't do it, 
Well, then what's one thing you could do today? Because thank goodness you're not on your deathbed that you could actually do it. So like, is there something for you? If you found out tonight, sorry about your luck, you're, you're not waking up tomorrow morning. Um, it's been a slice. What would you regret not doing? I would regret a lot of things. I mean, I, I'm definitely, I think that's part of the numbers. I'm like, man, I have not done as much as I wanted. Things aren't where I wanted. Like this show, as weird as it might be, the like the one dream I've always had in starting the show and getting it to a weirdly popular place is I'm like, I really want to do a live show. I don't know why, but I really want to. And so I would absolutely, that would be my regret is I'm like, okay, I'm dying really soon. How much does it cost to just rent a theater and how much effort do I have to put in to give away enough tickets to fill seats? <laughs> well, let's be honest. If you publicized that you were dying, you'd probably sell it out. Oh, probably. Right. So maybe we could maybe we could work on this marketing angle. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. I'll just give them I'm dying and then the number of Mondays left. <laughs> Not address what it means. <laughs> right. It's sort of vague. Yeah. But for you, a live show that would feel like you want to move to that. You want that to be, or you would feel like you didn't achieve that, and that would feel crappy. So, I mean, the now this is the coach in me. It's like, well, then I would say, well, what's something if, yay, you're not dying tonight? Like, yeah. good news. And so, what does that actively mean that you would want to do maybe over the next month of your life to try to move towards that? You know? Yeah. No, I mean everything. I think it's very slow build in the podcast world where very few shows that I'm aware of actually have done like they go to a venue and they do a show yeah. um, is pretty unusual. But the ones that do it do like a string of them. And I think that would be the thing is build up, make sure I have enough audience in enough locations that I could do multiples. Ooh. So yeah. I, yeah. I, when I dream, I dream big. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Don't sit on those sidelines. I could see you totally doing it. You'd be amazing at it in, in a live situation. Yeah, it'd be interesting. I I don't know how much of this this format that I do here on the show like leans into a live experience or like I just start dragging people in the audience up on stage. <laughs> but, you know, it's fun. Well, well, that's how that'll be the difference between the first one you do and then the wrap up of the tour is that they may look like totally different animals as you learn. But, yeah. 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 Okay. So what a good example though. It's like, if that would give you that feeling on the deathbed of, oh, I always wanted to do this, then this is such a good example to me here, Colton, of how we all have these feelings, right? And so what, that's the part that I just get motivated. Like what a shame it would be then to not give it a go. And we don't give things a go because of so many reasons, right? Sometimes it's because we're afraid to, and it's just, um, we're afraid of failure, rejection, all the feelings. Sometimes we are so busy and we think we'll get to it later. That to me is one of the greatest risks of life is that perception that I'll do it when things die down. Well, like it's never going to die down, right? Or I'll do it when I have more time. Um, or when I, when somehow, when I get my act in gear, well, you know what? Maybe doing it is the thing that's going to make you get your acting gear, not waiting for your acting gear first. So, yeah, I'm getting all worked up. Yeah, no, a lot of those is like the sooner you start, the sooner you're going to, you know, get better and succeed. Or a lot of people I feel like in the same exact situation are like, oh, well, after I retire, I'm going to do that. Oh, 
oh, I was just working with a gentleman a couple months ago. Same idea. I am going to travel. I'm going to spend so much time with my wife. I'm going to do all these things. He wanted to pick up. He wanted to learn new things. And then he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia and a bunch of things that I can't pronounce. I'm impressed I pronounced fibromyalgia right. And he isn't getting to take off out of the blocks like he imagined he was going to do come retirement time. And so he's thinking, I, man, like, I know I was busy, but I could have completely booked a trip once COVID, you know, blew over a little bit. I could have totally booked that trip that I wanted to take, or I could have totally gone and spent more to quality time with my wife in these ways. We do postpone our existence. And that's like, it's our human tendency. So yeah, we're totally normal for doing it. But we don't have to, right? We could pick one thing at a time and systematically live like we mean it rather than waiting to live. Yeah. Kind of stretch your journey over the entire life and not try <laughs> and gamble on it at the end. <laughs> right. Are you reminding me now so many of us do this thing where we kind of ho-hum, ho-hum, work, 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 one-dimensional, not really loving our lives. And then it's vacation. And we were like, oh man, I'm going to max it out. And and that's fun. Like we can have a really great, you know, whatever we take, who is it? Five days plus like tack on a, a weekend before and after. Okay. Hey, like take what we can get. But even if it's two weeks, um, stuffing life into that time frame, I would rather us do that than not live at all. Same idea though, that you just said, like, what if we started to do some of those fun things that we do on vacation? Like it always amazes me when you're on vacation, do you not kind of get up and like, you have a breakfast, like you go for breakfast and I don't know about you and your quote unquote real life, but like, do you go for breakfast on a typical like Thursday in September? No. Right. No. no. <laughs> but like, how fun is it to go for breakfast? And I think I want to live like I'm on vacation in my non-vacation life. Maybe even once a month, is that too much to ask to go for breakfast before work? Like, I want to go and get an omelet. Like, I want to shake it up. And that's just, I mean, this is just a very seemingly silly example, but these are the little things that make us feel like today was kind of fun and different or, wow, I tried something new rather than the usual mundane thing, which is what we do because we just get into these like routines and habits that oh, dull the edges. Yeah. No, it's one of those that like in the year since starting this show, like I have started to travel more and I'm meeting up with like other podcasters and other networks and I'm doing shows on other places and they're always short trips. Like I'm there for, you know, three days or something and I'm flying, you know, in one case, like to Georgia from the West coast for three days. <laughs> And it's like, it's a very short trip, but it also makes me see those important things where I'm like, oh, I am going to get up and have breakfast today. Or I have the one day off when I'm here. Like, what can I pack into this one day? And it's like, I get to experience all that in this short burst. And then mm -hmm. when I come back, I have to like sit and think, why am I not doing that more? <laughs> oh, man, that is such a neat lesson. Um, so I like how you, so you actively will, if, when you have downtime, you'll kind of pre-plan or, or at least put thought into making the most of it while you're there exploring oh, yeah. or whatever. I am incredibly methodical about how I do. <laughs> no things. way. Yeah. Really? Like what's an example? I'm so curious. Um, anytime I'm going anywhere, I'm like, okay, I have 12 hours essentially that I'm going to have to myself. 
and I will pull up a map and I'm like, what are the the top hit spots where people are like, you have to see this museum or this show or whatever it is. And I'm like, how many of these can I jam into one segment of time oh. where I'm like, if I catch this museum, yeah. you know, I get breakfast at eight, like, which is earlier than I usually get up. But if mm. I get up at eight, I get breakfast. I can be down to this museum by 10. If I'm out of the museum by three, I can hit their waterfront and I can have like a late lunch. And then if I'm done with that by five, I can be down to the the comedy show or whatever that people say I have to hit. Oh, wow. You are like, that's, that is such a good example of how you get this full experience and it wouldn't happen unless you planned it. I mean, you could roam and that there's sometimes there is actually some fun in that, but you're making it happen. And then the way you compared it to when you go, then go home and you're like, well, now I'm just back into the ho-humness of like, this is my day to day. Living like a tourist, I think, in your own city is like, that's the concept, right? Well, yeah, because I, you know, you cram so much of that. If people do that out there, or if you just roam, when you come home, especially from those short trips, this is what I saw is you will realize how much time you're not doing anything. <laughs> because I'll like sit at home and watch an entire TV series. Yeah. And then I'm like, man, in the amount of time it took me to watch that today. <laughs> Like I did all of these other things somewhere else. Like, why am I not doing anything right now? <laughs> right. Well, okay. So now you're highlighting something. I always feel this need to, oh, I don't know, like recalibrate our expectations because here I am getting all giddy about your explanation of this, like 12 jam-packed hours of awesome fun. And I believe that creates this expectation, like, well, that's how we're supposed to be living all the time. And already I'm exhausted just imagining that, right? Like, I think let's just all acknowledge that there is totally a time and a place to zone out for a little bit, like do your, I don't know. I mean, I'm like a complete fan always of um, sitting on the couch and watching TV and movies. And like, there's, there's joy in that. That's great. Like we're not supposed to, whatever that means, be on full tilt all the time. Life short, got to like completely carpe diem, like until we actually have a panic attack because we can't fit it all in. Like, no, no, no. Let's just size it a little bit. Cause I think we can go like guardrail to guardrail, like one end of the other where we're not living and we're kind of sleepy. And then we go away and we have fun, but then we come back to our kind of sleepy existence. Maybe we need to shake it up a little bit. Um, but I just want to always caution us and be like, Oh, we don't have to go crazy with it. Cause I think that's too much pressure. No, of course. And I don't go, I don't go that hard in my daily life. <laughs> like I am not always trying to ride those expectations here at home, but mm -hmm. it does make me think about it. Mm -hmm. I'm like, man, I was so productive and now I'm not doing anything. And I'll talk mm -hmm. to people about it and they're like, well, you probably need the rest. And I'm like, yeah, of course I do. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, it's still like, it, it's such a, an immediate jump back and forth sometimes that it's really yeah. jarring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like some people get that with their full-time job, right? Is they're like, oh, well, I'm working every day, eight hours a day. And all I do is like, I wake up, I go to work, I get home, I eat while mindlessly staring into the distance. And then I go to sleep <laughs> and I do that five days a week. So then, you know, the other two days a week that I have, I just want to sit and do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. There's this researcher that 
developed this concept called flow, you know, like when you get into the zone, like you're swept into this space of really losing track of time and loving it. So, um, Csikszentmihalyi is his last name, if anybody cares and, and rest in peace, he passed away, um, sort of recently. And so he always said in his research, I found this fascinating that, you know, most of us are longing for more life and excitement. And then when we come home from work, we, instead of engaging ourselves in the life that we think would be cool to live, we passively sit back and watch other people live cool lives. So like we'll watch a movie where other people are doing fun things, or we'll watch a sports game where other people are playing the game that might be cool to play if you got off, you know, and, and went and I don't know, organized a game of soccer yourself. Or we'll listen to music, but that we're not playing the music that maybe we used to play when we were a kid in band or whatever. And so it always struck me as this idea that of course we can entertain, like going to the symphony and listening to music or going to a play or going to a museum and looking at someone else's art. I think we still get tons of credit and points for that because that's getting out there and engaging. Uh, of course, maybe, I don't know why all of a sudden now I'm imagining we're getting points for things. Maybe we do get more points if we do the art ourselves. Who cares about points? The point is, let's just not do the thing where we come home at night or we do do the weekend thing where we're completely kind of reclined and passive. And then that's the feeling after a little bit of recuperative time where we do get that, oh, like, am I wasting my time? Am I like, am, am I, would it be kind of neat if I did something that made me feel a little more alive? And I think the answer is generally yes. It's just what might that one thing be that you might want to do this weekend? Yeah. And that's kind of like, I know we got off on a tangent, it kind of runs me back to that retirement situation mm -hmm. where people are like, oh, I'll do these things after I retire. Do you think that is a safe bet or is it a risky bet? Because some something in me is like, oh, that's really playing it safe because you're not willing to take any risks until there's no risks to be had other than like your personal failure of a day or however long you're investing. And some of me is like, you're kind of like, there's no nothing that says you're guaranteed to make it to retirement just because you started a 401k. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think we're, I think we might be eye to eye. I think it's a total uh, risk. I think it is, um, it's a, this deferral plan of putting life on hold until, and there are exceptions where I think it's still healthy. And so that does look like this. Like I might work with people that are they're feeling like they're living life. And I always look at it through a spectrum of it's a framework of living wider with vitality and deeper with meaning. And so wider with vitality is, are you doing the fun things? Are you having cool experiences? Are you going to the museum? Are you feeling like you're getting to participate? And then the deeper part is the more of a connection to uh, it's not all fun and games at some point, you know, is there something that feels like you have a purpose or like you're contributing in some way to something or you're um, you're connecting with other human beings and maybe animals and that you are, you know, the, the good person kind of approach. So if at the end of the day, you know, in a pre-retirement reality, we're feeling like, hey, my life feels wide. My life feels deep. I'm feeling pretty good. And there is also cool stuff I want to do in retirement. I think that's great because it's like, I guess some people look at it like a bucket list. 
But what I think what you're asking about is where most of us do have that niggling sense we find ourselves in. I'm not living super wide right now and or I'm not living super deep. And I have these neat ideas of things that might be cool, like otherwise known as good intentions. You know, oh, I want to learn that language. Or oh, it would be kind of neat to go and volunteer at the kitten shelter. But I'll do I'll do all those things later when you when you defer the ideas that undeniably would give you joy and width and depth now for later. Oh, that makes me sad. Not just because you might die and not get there. That would be really a shame, but mostly because what about now? You know, like what about this month of your life that going and being a kitten feeder or kitten litter scooper upper might make you feel fantastic. And why not have that in your life now? Why wait? It is one of those that I talked about with a, um, a guy who's a podcaster now full time. And he said he was working a job that paid him a hundred thousand dollars a year. And he, once he hit that hundred thousand, he's like, Oh, this will be it. This is how I'm fulfilled. Right. Mm -hmm. And he hit the hundred thousand and he realized he was miserable. <laughs> And he's like, this does nothing for like it. It fills my bank account. Great. But it does nothing for me. And it feels like so many people use that paycheck as an excuse to like not do the things they want mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, well, this is paying all of my bills. Plus, I get to put a little bit away. So, you mm -hmm. know, I, I put the extra into retirement or I put the extra into a an investment account and eventually I'll get to do something I want to do when you're saying, you know, you can do little things like, you know, what is every, every language software out there advertising right now is like, Oh, in 10 minutes or 15 minutes a day, you can learn a language. Yeah. Like, who doesn't have a 10 minute break in their day? <laughs> Absolutely. Right. Cause or cause we're mindlessly zoning out and maybe on social media for that period of time or, like you said about eating your food and mindlessly looking off into the distance. I don't think I'll ever forget that phrase and, and actual picture of it, but we're mindlessly looking away for 10 minutes when we could be, I don't know, Rosetta stoning our way to conversational Turkish. I don't know. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I've had that moment where I'm literally just like, I know I have to get through this meal, especially when I'm on like a short meal break. Yeah. Is I'm like, I know I have to get through this meal and I don't want to get myself distracted because I won't finish my food. Yeah. And so I will literally just like, just blankly stare yeah. and just like shovel the plate <laughs> of food into my mouth until I'm done. And then I'm like, oh, look, I have six minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> and I often wonder what the aliens think looking at us, you know, like, would they go, oh, right. This is what humanity is. I don't know. And again, like, let's just do like, Maybe in the midst of all sorts of stuff going on, if you're interviewing six freaking people like me and you need like you need to zone out and just have your sandwich without thinking, great. But what you just described of someone, you know, like the job thing. Yeah. Oh, it's so true. You know, we have these notions that I'll be happy when I either make the money or achieve this kind of a claim or this role, whatever the thing, fill in the blanks, you know, the thing we think is going to make us happy. And often it doesn't, which is not surprising. We know this. Um, but a lot of the people I work with, I think there's a lot of pressure for our jobs to be the thing that delivers on lots and lots of ways and domains in life. Like 
your job is supposed to not just provide for you, but it needs to be the source of meaning and maybe a, also a whole bunch of other things like your social mecca and all the things and, and challenge and growth and achievement and all the buzzwords. And it's lovely when it does hit those high notes. However, it usually doesn't check the boxes for us and all of them consistently. So of course, if a job is draining us and it's like literally like zapping the life out of us, well, there's an alarm going off and we need to like evacuate, right? So just, you know, let's make a change. And I think sometimes we do need to maybe reframe a little bit our expectation around, oh, well, work is a part of my life. It's a big part of my life. I can't not like it, but if I'm missing parts of it, if it's not feeling like so much fun or it's not feeling so meaningful, that's, I mean, the first step is often to, well, where can you augment the rest of your life to allow for that? Because you're right. If you have a job that's very, eh, and then you come home and you look off into the distance for, for meals, and then you just sit and watch Netflix and it keeps serving up the next episode, which is so convenient. Um, that's not going to feel like a life well-lived, right? We are going to feel bored and empty. And so sometimes we can engage in other things on purpose. And that might take the pressure off work having to be the be all and end all. Um, but yeah, often we just have to quit the hell out of that job. and move yeah. On. yeah. Is that something you find yourself recommending to people often where you're like, look, as you're sitting here and talking to me, you hate your job. Mm-hmm. Like, do you recommend people just like, you need to leave. Like you got to find <laughs> something else. Yeah. 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 Often. Well, but a lot of people come to me because they know that they need to leave. They don't know how or what to even get to. It's like, I like, they need soul searching, right? Like, I don't even know what the thing is that might even give me a shot at freaking happiness. So there's work there. A lot of people are already hyper aware that work is just this just soul, soul sucking endeavor. But I would say, yeah, often it is a, this does need to get shaken up. And I will always do the work first of working with people to determine, um, is it just your mindset? Like, do we need to just shake things up and have you reapproach your job in a different way? Because sometimes it is like people will think, oh, if I go and find another job, that's going to be the thing that makes me happy also. But you're just taking some of your own issues and just you're just putting it into new workplaces, right? And you're always going to be unhappy with your boss unless you work through some stuff in your own mind about how you like reporting relationships or whatever. So I do think that sometimes there's work to be done before just saying, yeah, ditch that joint, find a new job because the grass is not typically greener. Um, But we know, like we know when our job is just feeling like it's stabbing our souls. I think, I mean, I don't know. You you must see that people you talk to. Oh yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the really nice thing about honestly doing the interviews that I do for the show is most of the people are talking about something that they're super passionate about. Mm -hmm. And so I get to see people that like enjoy what they're doing and it gets, Mm -hmm. it puts a flavor on everything that I see because when I see people that definitely don't have that, I'm like, you hate this job, don't you? And they're like, yeah, I do. And I'm like, yeah, I can see it because anytime you're talking about work, you like the life leaves your body. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You are, you're full of formaldehyde right now. You're dead inside. And <laughs> yeah, we, we, I think a lot of us feel stuck. Like even when you, okay, we're, say we're conscious. We know, oh, 
This is not a good part of my life. And believe me, like everyone else in your life knows it too. Like ad nauseum, you know, your significant other knows it, your family and friends know it, everybody knows it. And even when you know it, I think that's the work we have to do about like, like let's make some effort to live again. And even though you might feel stuck because like your friend or so who's reached a milestone financially, it's like you can make that money elsewhere. Or even if a lot of people will do the math and be like, you know what? Even if I don't make exactly as much, if it gave me a chance to be happy, I would take a small pay cut for that. So maybe, I mean, and but I don't want to saying like, let's settle. Like there's more out there. There's more money and more happiness out there for us. We just have to be quite frankly, ballsy enough to say it's not going to be easy, but it's worth it. Because if my life is short and if I have 2,496 Mondays like you or however many left, do I really want to be toiling at a job that is making me feel dead inside? Like rock the boat. Well, and you can, in the meantime, until you find something that really like helps you, you know, fill your cup, you can use your job and the money you make there to facilitate other things that make you happy that don't necessarily qualify as like work mm. where people are like, oh, I'd love to do that thing where like this, like podcasting, right? Mm. Setting it up. I didn't get paid a dollar for it. <laughs> so I was like, man, I'm investing money into this without getting anything out of it. Yeah. And it's like, well, I didn't get money out of it at the start. Like no one was paying me to say a single thing, yeah. but eventually you know, you realize that you're enjoying it and, oh, I'll put money into this even if I wasn't making money. <laughs> There's this uh, survey that was in the Harvard Business Review from, I think it's two years old. And they asked uh, a bunch of people in the US, how much money of your income would you be willing to give up if it guaranteed that the work you did was meaningful? So every day you go into work, you know it's going to be meaningful. Are you willing to give up some of your dough? And so nine out of 10 Americans did say, yes, I will forfeit some of my income if it means it's if it means it's going to be meaningful. And do you want to take a guess? Let's we could roll the roll, roll the die. What percent of people or not of people? What what percent of income do you think people are willing to give up? Boy, I want to say like 30 to 40. You're super close. So they said 23 percent. OK, so people are going to give up a quarter of their income now this is for the rest of their lives if it means i could just get to go home at night or maybe i already am at home working from home on my dining room table but i just get to end my day feeling like there was meaning and purpose to it um we are willing to pay for that yeah it sounds like you have some you have you have that in podcasting because yeah. you get to do something that makes you feel like what is it about podcasting that you enjoy I mean, I think it like it just checks all the boxes because there's this like, oh, I want to help people learn like a teaching something in me that was like, oh, maybe you should have been teaching. And it's like, well, now I do kind of. I mean, other people like yourself are actually teaching people and I'm just the voice behind the the mic that asks questions. So like there's a little bit of that. I get to reach out and like work with people, either yourself or, you know, audience members where it's. Like I get some, some social credit there where I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm interacting with people and I'm engaging and this is more social than a regular job would be. 
um, there's a lot of learning in it too, where I'm like, I get to be a student without having to like pay all the money out for, you know, student loans. Um, there's a lot of things like that where it's like, it just checks all the little boxes along the way that you don't think about because you're like, oh, I'm going to be talking and people will listen. And it's like, well, if, if your whole goal is attention, like it might do that for you. Statistically yeah. not, but it might. <laughs> your, your answer is so awesome to me because it, for me, it going back to that framework, you know, it sounds like you've got the feeling of having meaning. So that's adding depth to your life. And then also it sounds to me like you're adding width because it does sound like it's fun for you at times. I mean, you know, not unless you have deadening guests like me, that's totally unfun. But generally, like when I listen to you, you're laughing and having fun and that's enjoyable too. So you've got this cool ability to let this deliver on meaning and vitality, which is great. It's, it's, you're certainly not one of them. I have had very, very few guests where I just like stare into my camera <laughs> and I'm like, what are we doing today? <laughs> oh, okay. I'll watch for that look. If I look at you and you, I see that look in your eyes, I'll know that I need to just, I don't know, yeah. shake things up. <laughs> I don't know what it looks like because I've never gone back and looked at It's probably like a wide eye. Like if you see me like with my eyes all the way open and not blinking, like that's a moment to question, <laughs> but I've only had one of those guests. So I don't think you'll, you'll get there. And they were on a whole nother level where they were like talking about being a fifth dimensional being. So, yeah, yeah. That'd be wide eyed too. Yeah. I get you. Let's see, mm -hmm. but even that, like, it's amusing, right? <laughs> Even when it's not what you think, it's fun for laughter later. Yes. Back on topic. One of those things in looking at, you know, how many Mondays do you have left? It gets this kind of like, you know, live like you're dying. Look at how much time you've spent not doing the things you want to do. It seems really weird that we forget that often because it's yeah. not like a lesson that we never hear. Yeah. Hopefully this is not someone's first time they've ever heard that they're going to die because that would be a <laughs> real bummer of a show. But like we hear it, so, you know, not infrequently, I feel like, and we just yeah. forget. Yep. Yeah. It is so astounding because you're right. Like there are countless mugs out there and tea cozies, carpe diem, et cetera. And you're right. Like I do. I hope you have not been breaking news for anybody today about our finitude, but the way it works, you know, according to psychological science is that we are built to adapt to things super fast because we've got so much going on around us on any given day. And we can't, we can't handle the complexity of information and thoughts and feelings and all the stuff going on unless we're able to just really just regulate and adapt and adapt and adapt. So this is where I've always found this fascinating. And this is in positive psychology, my area of expertise, where when something really, really good happens to us, we think, oh, great. Like maybe it is that you, you know, your friend reached six figures or we move somewhere stunning and, or you get that new car or whatever the thing is that you think is going to be this panacea. Like now I'm happy. 
damn, like we do adapt. And then all of a sudden next number of days or weeks or months later, it's just not as enjoyable as it used to be. Now, the good news is that when crap stuff happens to us, we adapt too. So they research shows people who have been in mangling accidents and they become say a paraplegic over like 18 months ish later, they generally come back up to their sort of set point of happiness. And so same thing, if you win the lottery, you're not going to stay super happy. You're going to, you know, buy a tacky house and then be miserable again. So all this is to say, we just kind of get into this homeostasis. Like we adapt so that we can function with all the baloney going on around us. And what that means is that we get into these routines in order to function and do the work we do. And so the monotony is a little bit of a default setting. And um, for some of us more than others, some have thrills and needs to get out there. I met a woman, I uh, was on this panel last Friday and she was like, I want, you know, if I don't feel like I'm alive unless I'm jumping out of airplanes all the time or doing really exotic, crazy travel trips and going to dangerous places or, and, and her friend was vouching for her. She's like, she's crazy. And I don't know if you've seen Free Solo with Alex Honnold, the rock climber. They did the they did the MRI or whatever of his brain, and his amygdala basically has like no response because nothing stimulates this guy, right? That's why he can climb up El Capitan without a rope. And so some of us uh, need more stimulation than others, but we're gonna just get habitualized and routinized, and we are going to get into autopilot. So. Because that's mostly natural for us, unless you're Alex Honnold, we do have to offset. We have to like override the default setting. We have to override it manually. Like for most of us, it's like kind of a daily thing. Or for most of us, it's it's not a daily thing because we then all of a sudden get into a bit of a ho-hum. Ho oh, there goes the week. And then we have to actively go, whoa, what do I want to do for fun now? And so for some of us, it's just like a weekly override. I think the issue comes up when for many of us is we don't press the override button and plan something fun or plan something meaningful. And then all of a sudden it's like, what happened to 2022? Yeah, it's gone already. <laughs> 2022 is over. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we technically still have three months if anyone's counting, but you know. It'll be gone in two weeks. Don't worry about it. It just, it's going to fly by. I think that's one of those, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or if the world is more busy, something about it, like time is just moving so much faster. Yeah. Well, there's so much cool research out there on this. And so my dad's 85 and he's like, he's warning me every time I talk to him, do things now because it's only going to get faster. And so a lot of the research shows that it's a reflection of novelty and newness. So when you're younger and you've got all these fun new things you're doing for the first time, like you're going away to school or you're going traveling for the first time or you're out doing all the things and you're usually doing more things more often, things maybe we shouldn't be doing, but that's another story because that's fun too. And then when you get to a point where you're like, now I am, and I'm saying this with disdain, like a responsible adult and I don't do all those like, like. I live a life where like I'm in bed by 9, 930. I am not necessarily proud of it in a way. It kind of keeps me productive, which matters to me, but that's so boring, right? And so the way to actually create the illusion that time is not super fast. So otherwise said, you can slow things down by doing more new things. So do you ever notice a weekend 
feels super fast if you didn't really do much. But you ever notice that the weekend, like if you did something really fun on a Friday night and it was super interesting and then you did something cool on Saturday and then you did another thing on Sunday, doesn't the weekend feel so much longer? It's because you did something that was new or different or interesting or exciting and you did you you did you stuffed more stuff in. That's one of the little tips, I think, to make things perceive slow, slow down. Yeah. Do you find that the more you do, the more it feels? Yes. And I I typically have like bursts of things. And so it's like, oh, Saturday was really fun because I packed Saturday with stuff. And then I didn't do anything Sunday and I don't remember Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, and again, who am I to judge? Like, I don't think there's a recipe for right or wrong for a life well lived, other than the fact we know that there are some attributes. Okay. You know, like, do add in some novelty and variety in general and do seek out ways to widen and deepen and blah, blah, blah. But like maybe for you, is that an idea of a good weekend for you to have a jam-packed fun Saturday and then a Sunday where you're just like unplugged? I mean, I really kick myself a lot when I'm not productive. So if I see myself like I didn't do anything over the entirety of Sunday, mm-hmm. like my brain tries to delete it because it's like, <laughs> don't remember that. Don't remember how unproductive you were. <laughs> no one must know including you yes including (laughs) me block it out no it's something that somebody had talked to me about i like yours much better because someone else had recommended an idea behind stoicism Mm. which is to do something new that is uncomfortable every day Mm. and i'm like boy doing something uncomfortable every day sounds bad and they're like it doesn't have to be bad but it does kind of have that like the verbiage seems like uncomfortable bad because we're like oh comfort's a good thing so uncomfortable must be bad yeah i stoicism has so many cool things and it's related to this memento mori idea that i play in which is remembering that we're going to die the harsh truth of it all and the stoic attitude though if it's doing something uncomfortable every day for some of us that's not palatable or in the least bit desirable right But what if we took the essence of it? And for me, that might mean I look at it like in my life and what I recommend for some some people is every month, is there something that you can reflect back on that you did that was distinctly out of your comfort zone? Like maybe for some people it's it's, um, in a meeting at work where normally they would be behind the scenes, not saying much, maybe they get out of their comfort zone and come off mute and ask a question or contribute an idea. And then their armpits are all sweaty, but they did it. And they feel so good about themselves that they actually took that risk. Or maybe it is um, trying to apply to do a TEDx talk, or maybe it is reaching out to a potential client that you want to land, or I don't know how it works in your world, but like seeking out this ideal guest for your podcast, or let's go back to what you said you really want to do before you croak, which is do the live thing. Like maybe the thing you would look back on and feel proud of because it's out of your comfort zone was like finding a venue and picking a date and booking it. (gasps) Doesn't that make you feel alive to imagine? (laughs) It does. It's also incredibly scary. (laughs) Scary. Right. And and there's such, that's that's what's so cool about it is that sometimes there is a very fine line between those two feelings that fear and butterflies can just be an indication, not that we are on the precipice of massive risk and death or 
you know, dismemberment, but maybe it's that I'm afraid because it might not go well, or I might fail, or I might not deliver on whatever I said I was going to do. But I know undeniably that if I even pull it off to an, to a fraction of what I'm thinking of, it's going to make me feel so proud and invigorated. And like I showed up and I played rather than I dreamt about it. And I sat on the sidelines, you know, yeah. <sighs> I think we all have to hold you accountable to booking some kind of venue and some kind of date. Oh no. Just... <laughs> oh no. Um <laughs> like, yeah, let's change the subject fast. Yes, quickly. Um, no, I mean I think it's good. Like, you know, doing uncomfortable things, it, it was rephrased to me by someone else where they said, like, just do something different, like just mm -hmm. weird that's out of your norm. That could be the smallest thing because you're going to pay a lot of attention to it. Yeah. So they're like, Do you wear bracelets? I'm like, No, I don't wear bracelets. And they're like, wear one like just wear one i'm like why and they go because you'll pay attention more mm. and i'm like just because i'm wearing a bracelet and they're like yep because you're gonna think about it and you're gonna think everyone else is looking at it and <laughs> no one's looking at it but you are <laughs> they're like so you're more attentive during that day and then they're like oh are you comfortable in the chair that you're in and i'm like yeah i, I purchased the chair to be comfortable and they're like great swap it out i'm like why and they're like because it'll make you more aware of what you're doing yes new different that whoever said that i want to high five them because i think we become creatures routine and we like our comforts and i think comfort is fantastic except when it's always that way because then we do tend to miss out and any activity to try something out of the ordinary is an opportunity to either really like it and want to do more of it or, which is great, because now you have a new thing to add in, right? Like, oh, now I'm going to make Thai food all the time. Never tried that before. Or I now know I will never make that again. And then that's either knowledge or it's a fun story for later about how you completely wrecked it or had fun and dropped it or all the things that can unfold, but just not becoming the kind of comatose version that we really just naturally slip into. Yeah. The trying something different, any little thing that we do where we've got a bit of a, this is how I do things. This is what we do on Saturday mornings, or this is what we do for date night, or this is what I order when I go on Instacart or when I go to the grocery store. You know what? First of all, I'll go to a totally different store. Second of all, don't take your cart down the same route to go backwards, try and find something completely exotic. Um, or order everything in for a week and see how you feel and how much you want to start cooking again or reverse only order in or only use everything that's in your, do the challenge of using everything in your cupboard and fridge before you grocery shopping, like just silly, zany, fun, goofy, seemingly simple things that actually we underestimate that this is the stuff that makes us feel like, well, that was new and different, huh? It's just, we need to jostle ourselves because otherwise again, Thursday becomes Friday, which becomes Saturday. Yeah. And it just keeps burning. So another one of these along this, like remembering that we're dying, does a global scare, like what we had with COVID where everyone's like, oh my God, everything's going to kill us. Does this help people or oh. does it like hurt where they're like, don't go outside, don't do anything, don't learn new stuff. We're all going to die. Or is it like, hey, we're all going to die like from any moment because we have no idea how serious this is. 
Like, do I need to learn things right now? <laughs> this is one of my favorite questions that no one ever asks. So I'm so glad that you did. And because I have such feelings around this and it's research backed. So other than COVID doing us the favor of helping us reprioritize because things got switched up and we now know, wait a minute, I don't want a community anymore. Or wait a minute, I want a dog or whatever the priorities are. Um, COVID highlighted something that is fascinating in research is called terror management theory. And it's this theory that's based on the fact as humans, we're uniquely aware that we're totally going to die. And so that thought does not typically sit well with us. There's terror subconsciously, sometimes consciously. And in order to deal with this awareness of, uh, I'm not going to live forever. We do, uh, one or two things. The first one is that we double down on our worldviews. So we want to affiliate very strongly with any kind of cultural group that we believe we are a part of because it makes us feel safe and secure. So it's not a funny coincidence that all the election stuff was going on and causing the whole entire country to become divided because we were sort of like obscurely afraid of dying with COVID. And so the left leaned hard to the left and the right leaned hard to the right because it made everybody feel a little bit weirdly safer. And we're going to get, I, I won't go into detail because it might bore you to death, but it um, it's just this idea that there's like symbolic immortality that if I align with my political party or I align with my religious ideology, or if I align with the worldview I have from the school I went to or whatever your alumni, whatever group you identify with, it just makes you feel somehow safer and like it will live on beyond me. Okay. So we do that. And the next thing is that we want to, in order to mitigate this terror of, oh God, we're dying, is we want to bolster our self-esteem. So we want to do things that make us feel better about ourselves. And usually that has to do with how well are you adhering to the worldviews that you believed you subscribe to. Okay, so here's where this then goes weird, is COVID does this thing where it's it's all around us and we're aware that people are dying and it's obviously super, super terrible, but it's it's actually an abstract presentation of death. So it's like this scary notion around us, but we don't stop and actually internalize it. And so that's a lot of the experts say it's sort of a, it's a counterproductive, uh, it's called mortality salience. Like it actually makes us aware of death, but not in a really good way that helps us. It makes us do that thing where we all of a sudden become super aligned with, you know, whoever we're going to vote for and rabidly against the other party. And that doesn't usually make us good citizens or humans to be around. Whereas the other side that I love is rather than this idea of gentle, sort of obscure death awareness, it's called death reflection, which is a very conscious activity. And this is what I love to work with people on one-on-one -on -one or in groups or retreats or whatever, is like, stop and imagine in some vivid detail that your life is ending. And there's even research out there that goes so far as to get people graphically and vividly imagining dying in an apartment fire. Like it gets gory. Okay. That though brings up really productive thoughts with people, which is a little bit more of the, it's gripping. It's no longer abstract. It's totally concrete. And that's where cool stuff happens in, in psychology and the brain. And it makes you go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It deactivates that terror management theory, which makes me cling to stuff. And it makes me go, where now, how do I want to spend this time? My 1,000 or sorry, 2,496 Mondays for you 
So I guess my my point here is COVID was a little bit rankling because it was around us, but it wasn't specific enough to help us. It got a, it actually just freaked us out. Whereas if you stop and you really internalize it and you really think about the end and you really imagine your deathbed, like in vivid detail, like what are you wearing? What does it taste like? What does it feel like? What are you actively going to regret? Or what? And now what do you really want to do with your time? That can be productive. Yeah. Well, and it's some of those that's like, you know, being forced to find your alignment where you're like, oh, I have to become part of a group, like is bad. But mm-hmm. finding your group in general is like a good thing to do, isn't it? Where mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, do find those group of people who are like you that want to, you know, go to the kitten shelter and help out. Like those are your people. That's mm-hmm. a good group to align yourself with instead yeah. of just like picking a group and being like, okay, I'm going to be all these things all the time. Go. <laughs> Yeah. 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 I like your point. Yeah, absolutely. Have connections that matter. It can be groups you align with. Just be careful that if you, most of us don't know we do this, like most of, you know, most of our biases and so on, they're mostly unconscious anyways. Um, Yeah. Have groups of people that make you feel like you belong and make you feel less lonely and that make you feel like you can laugh and have fun. Do all those things. Just be careful that when you're abstractly presented with the idea of your mortality, that it doesn't mean that you then start to admonish other groups because, well, that's the dog shelter. They suck. Come on, guys. Let's go look after the kittens. Like, be careful. That that's We want to be accepting of all animals. Yeah. I don't know why when you're like, oh, you know, vividly picture your, mm-hmm. your gruesome death <laughs> and then like reframe that as where you're at. For some reason, my brain was like, hey, you remember that thing where people were having fake funerals for themselves? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I do remember that. <laughs> well, that there's still merit in it. Like, so depending on a retreat I'll do, we may do something fun like that. And I say fun because I, you know, it needs to be kind of fun or else it just seems really sad. But that's the that's a really good example, actually, of what can be. No, not fake. Wait, are you talking about fake, like actually faking it so that other people, what are you talking about? Oh yeah. Have you never heard people doing that? No, wait, I think I'm I'm on a different wavelength. I thought you were talking about, oh. go tell me more. No, I, I know, I know where you're at, where you're like, oh, the fake funeral. Like, oh, what if this was your funeral? Um, no, there's people who legitimately, like they had, they felt like they lost contact with everyone. And so in order to get everyone back into their lives and bring everyone together, they faked their own death. And they're like, they sent out messages that just said like, oh, so-and-so that you haven't talked to in however many years just died. And there's a funeral service and it's on Saturday. And then like set up the entire funeral and then like waited behind the curtains in the back. Like who's here and how do they feel about it? Okay. I love how (laughs) fabulously psycho that is. And for the record, definitely not what we're recommending today but highly amusing oh my gosh yeah i don't i don't remember why but there was like just a a group of these events that just happened like one after the other after the other and i don't know if i was just uniquely aware of these things (laughs) happening or if they had publicity at the time but i remember it and people were like not going to real funerals because there were fake funerals happening and they were like they're not dead tell them to call me when they get it together oh grandma's totally crying wolf yeah. oh. 
oh, this is great. You've just totally given me something that I'm going to look into later. And I'm so amused. Thank you. You're welcome. (laughs) The other thing that I like latched onto in there, and I think that's because it is like permanently part of my, my ongoing process when it revolves around like existential crises is that theme of like needing to be remembered. Like I have to do something that gives me some form of immortality, even if it's Mm -hmm. not a real immortality. Yes. That's an important thing for a lot of people. So legacy, right? Like what am I doing that can live on beyond me that And so your podcast is a really good example, right? Like (laughs) that's going to be in for posterity's sake, people will be able to listen to our scintillating conversation for years to come. But the idea for many of us is that we do take on what's called an immortality project so that it can help, again, mitigate some of that anxiety of what's all this for? Like I'm here, you know, you on average 78 years, don't worry, you'll outlive that. I'm pretty sure. (laughs) And that I'm, and then what? Like that's it? Whereas, so for many people, having kids does that, um, creating something like actually creative that will live on. For some people, it's donating stuff to the kitty shelter or wherever. And that is stuff that can help us feel like, okay, even though I know my body is going to go poof, um, this wasn't all for nothing. And that can actually manage anxiety. So you've got a podcast. I mean, yeah. and you're going to have live shows <laughs> that we've videoed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's, it is one of those where I'm like, it felt just a little bit easier. Like it eased some of the tension inside where I'm like, oh, I have, you know, like when I launched, I was like seven episodes or something. I was like, oh, I have seven episodes. And even if I die tomorrow, like there is some version of me that can continue to like help people learn something or exist in the nebula. It's just Uh, like, look, I'm there. Ah. Yeah. Despite the fact that like, I, I won't care if <laughs> i dead. Right, right. Well, it, it is, to me, it's always fascinating. This will not land well with lots of people, but I'm just going to say it anyways. But for most of us, um, 80 years from now, no one on the planet will have ever basically known you've existed. And so you do kind of offset that if you at least feel like you've got something that lives on beyond you. And... And, but, you know, it's funny. Some people really could just care less. And for some people, it actually drives everything they do. They work so hard so that they can build something that makes them feel important. And the funny thing is, is when we die, it ain't going to matter how we feel, I don't think. But it gives us some kind of peace today. So maybe that makes us live better today. Yeah. I mean, hopefully something. Because if you think back to like, oh, remember famous people from history. Now, no matter how much time you paused that segment of the show and thought about famous people from history, you're ignoring about 99.9% of the entire population (laughs) during those time periods where they existed. (laughs) It's like, you don't know them. Like, they may have done something impactful. They may have built, you know, a great monument or taken part in building the monument. But one person's going to be remembered for that monument. Yes. But even if you're part of the 10 that built it, only one of you is going to get remembered. Same thing like any giant building where people are like, oh, did you know so-and-so about the Kremlin? And then they killed him. And I'm like, cool. Who built it? Like, yeah. Did they kill all the people that built it too? Right. Right. <laughs> and like, That's the fascinating fact, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember exactly what it is, but I do know there was a big monument 
you know, or a big building like the Kremlin where they were like, it was so beautiful that to keep the, the artist from ever producing something so beautiful, they just killed him. <laughs> I'm like, well, boy, you're <laughs> all right. Noble mission. Yeah. Ended sadly. You say, I don't think he knew that when he signed the job contract. You know, you might decide, you know, after like your 500th episode that like you just need to call it quits because you can't top yourself, you know? Sure. Could. You know. Um, it's one of those that like I've, I, I just talked to people about where I'm like, you know, I've been doing this a year. The show has gotten incredibly popular. It's beaten all standards. Like it's, it's going great. Now, what if I did another show? How do people feel about that? Because mm. I was like, I understand this one's not going anywhere. I'm not mm. stopping this. But what if I did another one? Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, yeah. Like, what do people feel like? And what is the show? Because, yeah. like, would you listen to a show where I just had banter? Or would you listen to a show where I was... A lot of people have said, like, you have an a personality and a voice that just like excretes melatonin and it relaxes everyone. <laughs> I'm like, great. Is that the show I should be like doing on, on the, the second to this show is I'm yes. like, oh, do I just read things that put people to sleep? Sleepy time with Colton. I can yes. totally imagine this. <laughs> Colton. Um, what a, You'd have to play the harp. A name. A also. Harp? Yeah. Oh, Cause it's very sleep inducing. Just very. <laughs> well, I don't know. I got to tell you, I hear you. You're pontificating more like people want more of you, you know, and, and I'm not letting up on this live thing, not letting up on this. I feel like I am the Grim Reaper's representative here to tell you that your time is ticking. And if you don't do this live show, then there's going to be hell to pay. Um, and also do more podcasts. That's PS. I love the idea that you have more ideas and creativity in you. You know, I was being facetious when I said, when you get to 500 call it quits, I was oh, insinuating, no, you know, as you're okay, just yeah. in case. Yeah. And you never know, like sometimes things just stop being what you want to do. I know people mm-hmm. that have done that where they're like, oh, it was great. And I'm like, then what happened? They're like, it stopped being great. And I stopped yes. doing it. Yeah. We're allowed to change our dream and it doesn't make us fickle or flighty. I think it just makes us evolve and go, you know what? Like I talked to a guy this morning. He's like, I was a musician and I was my dream. And I thought I wanted to tour and I was touring and it was great until it wasn't. And then I'm now following a new dream and it's like, cool, high five. Like that to me is about um, living a life that is the liveliest version of your life is that it's going to change, especially as we age and our priorities change. And the key is to listen for it and not get stuck too long in the feeling of, oh, this isn't really that fun anymore. Or, oh, this isn't really delivering much as much as it was anymore. Hey, that's okay. Now, I'm glad you noticed. Now, what do you want to try next? And maybe you even need to take a risk because most of us don't have necessarily a perfect idea about what that is next, let alone the steps. And so we let the lack of steps just prevent us from taking any step. And yet, you know, like, let's give it a go. And that I think does take a little bit of a little bit of risk, but that I think that's the experience of being alive again is is taking a bit of a risk to live now rather than when you retire or try a new hobby now that you might really suck at, but it's worth it that you tried it or try a new job that might give you a chance to feel successful and challenged again. And you might not like that one, but it'll lead you to the next one that might be fantastic. Yeah, it's very much one of those where it's like, 
do you feel fulfilled? No. Okay, what thing makes you feel fulfilled? And they're like, the, the most common thing I hear is, well, I don't know what I'm good at. Yeah. Okay, totally different question. Like, I don't care what you're good at right now. Like, what do you want to do? Yeah. And they're like, well, I want to do this thing, but what if I'm bad at it? I'm like, um, well, you won't know unless you do it. <laughs> yes. Yes, that's so well said. And also, I think it's like we get confused. We think that we have to wait to become confident before we start something that's going to take a little bit of, Ooh, and yet, no, 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 confidence comes from doing the thing that you don't know how to do, and then you build confidence. And so same thing about not knowing if you're good at it or not. I love your point. Like that might be irrelevant right now. What about if it interests you, dabble, see what might be kind of neat around it. And then you'll have a chance to maybe get great at it or not. And maybe that, maybe it's still irrelevant if you're good or not. It drives into a lot of, a lot of segments where people are like, what's my purpose? Mm -hmm. Like what internet test can I take that tells me what I'm supposed to be doing? Mm. And it's like, that would be great if it existed. It would also probably be either way too broad or not not very good at what it's doing. So. Totally. Oh, I'm right with you. Yeah, a lot of people ask that too. And I believe you have to take risks on its behalf to find it. See where is there a tiny little fire burning somewhere? You know what? Go and stoke that fire. Go give it a chance to see if it might become a forest fire, but not a dangerous bad one. I'm going to change the metaphor. You know what I'm saying? Go try it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> or you're like, you know, you have to try things because if you could go online and get a result, I don't think you would find that answer satisfying. No. Right? Like if you, if I created the perfect system online and you're like, what is the absolute job I should be doing? And it took, you know, a blood test and it did whatever else it needed to do to get your exact result. And I was like, dentist. And you're like, I don't want to be a dentist. <laughs> like, totally. suddenly not very satisfying. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. We need to, yeah, yeah. I have yet to find any kind of psychometric assessment that tells us really anything helpful in this regard. And go out there and live and, and, and see and feel and try stuff on for size and be willing to not have it work. And then use that for the next step and the next step and the next step. Um, it's the it's the willingness to shake things up and maybe take some risks and keep exploring. Yeah, I think that's a good message to leave people with. But I wanted to give you some time to kind of plug, you know, where people can find you and what you're doing and where they can get involved. Hey, thanks for asking. So I'm pretty much over at 4000mondays.com all the time. And I love it. If people have questions, they can reach out. There's a contact form there. I answer everything pretty much. Um, and so there's, there's an online course there, but ultimately there's lots of resources. There's a calculator that you can calculate your Mondays if you don't love the mathematical exercise. And yeah, 4000mondays.com. I'd love to chat with anyone. Awesome. We'll go over there and check it out. Thank you so much again for being on the show. I have thank greatly appreciated the whole thing. Oh, thank you for having me. This is too much fun. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Just Dumb Enough podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. Please take a brief moment to rate the show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, or Audible. I'm always looking to help the show grow to get new listeners, so you can do your part by telling other people that you enjoy this podcast. You can also reach out to me at dumbenoughpodcast at gmail.com with any topics or guest ideas or questions 
or you could send those over to any of the show pages on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or wherever else you find me. That's all for now. I will see you all Monday with a new story leading us from devastation to happiness. Bye bye.